I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. Welcome to the Be Here Now Network guest podcast. This series features talks from a myriad of modern spiritual teachers expanding on how we can all live a life in balance. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash guest. Wendy and uh, Natalie Goldberg and I had uh, dinner together um, it was like the three crones kind of over a brew of our lives, stirring it thoroughly. To me, it's very significant that Wendy is here at this time. Um, for one thing, the climate accord is at risk. And I feel we all, in uh, whatever ways, uh, are appropriate for us, um, need to uh, encourage the people uh, who are uh, in D.C. Um, to honor this accord because um, our future, our children, all creatures truly depend on it. And Wendy, for me, what you bring forward um, to us every time you come here 
is the profound value of uh, this earth in our lives, without which um, there is no life. And there's another uh, significant uh, event that happened early this morning. Um, the man who revived uh, the Cerro Gordo Asequia, um, our good friend Barry Rudolph, died last night or early this morning. And Barry um, was a lawyer, um, a fighter, a bodhisattva, a cherisher of traditions. I, I want to thank also Joshin, our vice abbot, who just uh, introduced Wendy and me, who received a call at 2 this morning and went over to sit with Barry's wife, Sleek, and also to help Sleek bathe his body. Barry's um, passing um, just reminds us of how uh, the truth of impermanence, whether it's the change of seasons or just the round of one day, um, is the invariable of our lives. So I want to just take a moment to uh, think about BR and um, to, in a way, ask us to um, hold uh, his widow, Sleek, um, in our heart and also to appreciate deeply what Barry um, brought to this community. Thank you. And in this um, spirit, we, you know, might ask ourselves, what are uh, we leaving behind? I think it's really powerful. When I first uh, moved here uh, 25 years ago, um, um, parts of this land that is now Upio. Um, had no trees. And I planted many trees here over the years, some of which actually survived. <laughs> <laughs> and then I saw a photograph of um, this valley with Cerro Gordo Mountain. It had been all the timber and the trees in this valley had been harvested. It had been kind of scalped hundred years ago. And now um, there's so much life in this valley. What are we leaving behind? How can, um, as we consider um, the place of land in our lives, look at our place in the land?
in our lives. So, Wendy, thank you for coming every year to bring the three sisters into life. Corn, beans, and squash, planting the ancient seeds in this landscape. We are, except for Myoshin, kind of clumsy gardeners. I really uh, have to say, Myoshin, you have so much to take care of, and the residents have so much to take care of, and Wendy arrives like uh, a bodhisattva of the mycelium. <laughs> and um, I remember a few years ago, we went up to the refuge, and Wendy would just plunge her hand into the dirt, into the compost, and, you know, as though she was a sort of sommelier of earth, <laughs> you know, sniffing the stuff and, you know, saying, ah, this is the good stuff. And then we took a walk down valley, and she grabbed a bunch of earth out of tree roots, and she said, you got to put more of this into your compost and into your garden earth. And so we hauled buckets of it up to inoculate the earth of our garden and the earth of our compost with the kind of heart of earth. Yeah. So you're going to talk about dirt tonight. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna get so let's get down into the dirt. Good evening. Uh, I don't think I can express the feeling of being that I the upwelling of feeling to be in this room. So much uh, life and story and truth and courage coming out of the walls. I think of all the hours of writing here with Natalie and writers writing down the bones, writing, bringing home the world. And then the, the death and dying retreats, um, the truth spoken in the heart of difficulty and the, the courage and the conviction that is generated in, in this place of refuge, living place of refuge. So let me begin with a very favorite and beloved uh, reminder from uh, the 13th century from Dogen Zenji reminding us about continuous practice. Uh, on the great road of Buddha, there is unsurpassable continuous practice. It forms the way ring, and that practice is never cut off. There is no gap. Continuous practice is the circle of the way. And... Um, so continuous practice is the circle of the way. And I think of the great cycling of matter, life into death, into life, uh, the, the fecundity of decay, and the glory and change of new life, new seed, new birth, uh, the gift of BR going to the great majority and feeding the ground. Because certainly some of his good bone and blood and ash will be returned to community gardens, reminding us that when we talk about ancient land, we are speaking about common ground, the common ground that is the home ground of all beings in the 10 directions, without exception. So we remember that. And when I come home to Upaya, I'm, I'm just astonished by the light, bright, uh, 
dryness of this ground and thinking of the beings, human and more than human, that have been nourished by this wild and unpredictable earth that is the earth of New Mexico and the base of the Sangre de Cristo Mountains. The greater than that, they have older names than we can even sing and tell. And I remember, I was listening to you, Roshi, I was remembering first meeting Soa Nakagawa Roshi in Jerusalem. I was 23 years old. I'm 69 years old now. I was 23 years old, not looking for Zen. Heaven help me. I'm an activist, not looking for Zen. Ending up in Jerusalem and meeting Soa Nakagawa Roshi, who came from Japan. He was so tiny and intense a human being, we had to put him on two tables so he could be seen. And I remember this was an extraordinary event. It's vivid. Um, so I remember him sitting on those tables, and he never opened his eyes. He had a little cup of green tea, great Zen master, calligrapher, poet, um, a dragon from the from, um, Ryotakuji Monastery, a dragon man, alive and utterly dangerous. So he sat on that, that shelf of tables. And he, um, he spoke to us, and he said, I visited the city of Los Angeles. There is great awareness in Los Angeles. And I thought, wait a minute, I'm a, really? Maybe I'm, you know, really? OK. And he said, he said, I will say why, because I saw a sign in a window in a hotel that said, no vacancy. And he said, in the entire universe. This was, it's funny, but it's also like, good dharma is funny, but it's bloody true. It's right down at the ground of the world. No vacancy anywhere in the universe. And I was brand new to dharma. It was my first dharma talk and my first session. No vacancy anywhere in this universe. And then he said, and no water pollution wherever. There can be no water pollution. Water, the nature of water is pure. You can add pollutants to water, but there can be no polluted water. Water has its own nature. There's no vacancy and no lost life there. It was extraordinary import, extraordinarily important for me to sit with Soa Nakagawa Roshi and hear that Dharma teaching um, so many years ago, 40 plus years ago, 45 years ago. And uh, my life turned toward the path. And I, I remember, when I think of that talk, I remember the bright, white, burning soil of the Middle East. Because Dharma, for me, is rooted in beginningless, endless roots. Soa Roshi's translation of emptiness. He, and he loved to talk about great emptiness, endless dimensions, universal life. You want to understand Mu, then endless dimensions, universal life. And there was no place for us to practice in Jerusalem. We, we, we didn't have a center. So we practiced with, out of the kindness of the monks at Latrun Monastery, Trappist monks, they welcomed us. But they asked us when we chanted, because they, they practiced full silence, they asked us when we chanted to be outside and let our chanting go into the, into the universe. But what, what an extraordinary beginning for me. And I felt 
the ultimate ground of meditation practice, continuous and alive. So how to begin? The, this is a pilgrimage, our time together in, in this life, really, not just this weekend or this, this period of five days of practice, deep practice, investigating the way, turning the circle of the way, continuous practice. But it is a pilgrimage, walking as wandering wanderers, homeless wanderers, cloud and water wanderers on the landscape of this world and treasuring every single step and breath. His Holiness, years ago, 1990, after I was telling Roshi Joan the other day, remembering in 1990, His Holiness participated, actively participated in the Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro, actively present. And then after the Rio de Janeiro Summit, calling together and looking at how, in 1990, how do we meet the challenges of human beings living on the earth, he sent a letter to Buddhists and he said, can you not offer each other one day of peace walking on the earth? Don't talk, don't wonder, just walk slowly on the earth and take in the teachings of the ground. Oh, the soil is dark, the wind is red, and uh, gardens are dragon green with long white roots. I ran this by Kaz Tanahashi years ago. It's the way the soil chapter begins in Gardening at the Dragon's Gate. And Kaz said, dragons ride the thunder to change their bones. No. So he, when we practice continuously and taste real soil, not a ghost, not a dream, and settle down and walk on the earth and take up community gardening for the common good, that is radical work, pun intended, and rootedness intended. And I'm happy to practice here at Upai. I'm always happy to see Kim, who practices here every Thursday. We practiced in the early years with Soen in different places in the world. And he taught us to think about the roots of words, so beginningless roots of words, and to be careful not to use in our dialogue and in our meeting rootless words. Words need roots, and they have roots. The root of the soil has two roots. The first is su, su, just suey, suey, big, 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 the way you call a pig, from um, meaning fertility, sow, fertility. Uh, St. Francis and the sow, the, the great sow lying on her side with 14 suckling pigs, receiving the nourishment of the earth, the goddess of the earth, Demeter, dread Demeter. Her guardian animal is a sow, snuffling in the ground, down and dirty and on. So fertility. And the other root, solum, from the Latin, meaning seat, or solid, or settle, or quiet abiding. Shabbat. Those words all come up. Let's see, they're too good not to be kind to them. Oh, there's so many and beautiful. Looking at the roots of words. Yes. Well, everything I said, I can't read my writing. So I'm, I'm just going, coming from the heart for you. So just to remember the double-rootedness, fertility and settledness. And we are living in unsettled times. We deeply need the living ground, not as a metaphor. Ground, uh, ground is also a great word, meaning fundament or the base. 
to grind down, to grunt and grovel and get down low. So ancient land means find out who we are by going down into the ground, following the roots of our practice, continuous practice, and tasting the truth of the, the ground that sustains us and gives life. <sighs> we know more about the firmament above us, said Leonardo da Vinci, than we do about the good ground under our feet. And as an artist, he said, I'll change that, and took the different uh, soils from the areas where he lived in Italy and ground them into dust and mixed them with clay and oil and water and created the first pastels made of the ground, the earth, the earth tones, and found the subtle blue and green and brown and red and gold and ochre in the ground, came forth and created art from the living ground. So in these times, to be grounded is extraordinarily important. And it's, we're talking about bottomless ground. The, the bottom has fallen out of the ground. And the, the fire is rising up. These are extraordinary times. Thank you, Roshi, for saying what you said about the Paris Accords. We couldn't be in a pray, really pray, in these days. Pray that we can listen and remember who we are. Pray that we can remember what it is to um, occupy a universe that is not vacant, that every aspect is occupied. And, and then be in our continuous practice, utterly present. Oh. However you're going to do that, what will you leave behind? What will you take? What will you receive from the ground? The body of life. And please, let's never forget. One reason I snuff and sniff all the soil and taste, and we know the world in a sensual way, essential and sensual way. So we know the stuff of the world. To know the stuff of the world is our inheritance as human beings and as practitioners. You know, we don't sit here. This is a privilege to be able to sit still on ground, on this ground, in this temple, in the presence of Tara, who lifetime after lifetime gets up and serves and gets up from stillness. Her fertility depends on her stillness. Our fertility and imagination depends on our stillness. And I have been very unstill for the last. I think many of us are, rabidly. Um, as one of my friends said, you are air deranged, which means you're just in the air and blowing out air, and the derangement of air. And then people also say, and you're such an earth mother. I'm thinking, I don't have a speck of earth in my chart. It's all air and fire, so. Um, for those of us for whom that's true, we need this good ground and to remember what, where food comes from, who we are, to orient ourselves, to ground ourselves, to be nurtured and to offer nurturance and to let transformation happen in spite of us. Um, and to do it lifetime after lifetime. Hmm. Is this, um, this 
beautiful statement from Thich Nhat Hanh. I remember him saying this years ago, and, and Natalie and Roshi and, men, and others of us in this room, there may be many of us in this room who've practiced actively with Thich Nhat Hanh and Thich Nhat Hanh in the early years, early, early years at Ojai. I remember the artist retreat, 10 days of meeting with artists. And um, Roshi Joan was one of our conveners. We met under a great oak tree, 10 days. We, never in, we didn't introduce ourselves until the seventh day because we didn't need to. We just practiced together quietly and deeply. And then we began to talk around the seventh day about art and activism and practice and caring for the earth. I remember that. And I remember in, in that retreat, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh saying what we most need to hear now within us, within ourselves, is the sound of the earth crying, calling. So when we don't worry about introducing ourselves to each other except in a fundamental, grounded, uh, earthy way, then true, um, the true voice of the ground comes up through us again and again. So let me close um, with one wonderful story. When, when I first began to write 22, 22 years ago, a daily, a, a quarterly column for Tricycle Magazine, and it's been 21 years of writing this column, the garden column. Um, the first editor was Clark Strand, who um, reached out to me. Clark Strand is a poet and a, a wonderful Zen person. And then we were young in the practice, and he said, Try a garden. Helen Turkoff was the, was the editor of Tricycle Magazine. She said, write on gardening. Just write about gardening and Zen practice, whatever you want to write. So I wrote a column. And I looked at that column uh, recently. And it's called Gardening at the Green Dragon's Gate. I thought, oh, good idea. So anyway, I, I, uh, I saw the dragons change their bones by riding the thunder. I thought, OK. There was something in me that knew, even in the first column. And, I remember Clark Strand called me up and said, this is a, we're accepting your column and we want you to write for Tricycle. And I said, did you think the end was a little too esoteric? The end was a letter from Bill Sterling to me about gardening. And it was esoteric. He said, oh, I didn't finish the column. I said, you're accepting me without reading the whole column? He said, the part I read is good. Write, write. And so, so we stayed really close friends. And recently, um, he offered a piece of writing and insight about his life in Woodstock, New York, where he talked about feeling he'd been inside too long and needed to go and receive the tidings of the world. So he, with his family, began to practice and live outside. They found a way to keep mosquitoes away from them without uh, using too many sprays. And they just began to live outside and, and to not light lights, to let the dark, let the true light and dark of the universe, claim them. And he said in this beautiful piece of writing that I received, he said, you know, after a few months of that, I was sitting at the edge of dark, sitting quietly by myself. And I remembered, not just remembered, he said, I experienced continuous practice, circle of the way. I experienced um, the earth opening up and bodhisattvas pouring out of the earth. And of course, those of us who've studied the Lotus Sutra know the 15th chapter of the Lotus Sutra, emerging from earth, is about the earth cracking open and bodhisattvas pouring out. 
Prior to this time, practitioners asked the Buddha, can we help you with your work? We want to help you in some way. And he said, I don't need, thank you. I don't, something like, thank you, but no thank you. Um, I want to read this. This I will read to you because it's so strong. So they asked, the practitioners asked the Buddha if he could help and if they could help him. And he said, no, I am relying on beings who are coming up now from the empty space underneath this Saha floating world. These are beings who are unnamed, undeciphered, and unknown. And they are coming up from the underworld. And they will carry us now. I am relying on the beings from the underworld, from the Saha world, from the empty space underneath our practice, and continued sitting on the ground. Often we say the Buddha felt doubt and trembling and put his hand on the earth, and of course, the iconic female spirit put her hand underneath, and then we are one, unified. It is far more complicated than that, friends. Far more complicated than that. Far more complicated than that. Than that binary thinking. The bind of binary thinking. We're talking about endless dimensions, universal life. Practice that does not stop. That is not friendly sometimes. And is not always civil or domesticated in any way. We're talking about the underworld coming up. The ground cracking open and bodhisattvas coming up and saying, Come with me. You need me now, and I need you. <sighs> I, do you, you know that feeling of the ground opening up, falling away, the great walk on the edge, on the edge, on the bright edge, and the ground cracks open, the bodhisattvas come up, and we continue our practice. We have to taste the ground, though. We have to be like the Sicilian Farmers who came in the early years at Ellis Island, one farmer coming, where are your possessions? He held out his hand. He only had a handful of soil from Chichilia. Nothing else. Here's my possession. Soil from my homeland. So let's, that, that, the ground is cracked open. Conventional binary reality. It's bigger than that. People, says poet, Louise Clifton, people who are going to be, in a few years, the bottoms of trees, bear a responsibility to something besides people, people, people. One more time. People who are going to be, this is the Poet Laureate of Maryland, and she's an activist, an outspoken, fierce African-American woman, woman. People who are going to be, in a few years, bottoms of trees, bear a responsibility to something bigger, bigger, wider, more continuous than people. So ancient, ancient land living practice on and on until the end of time. Thank you. So just imagine uh, Wendy putting her hand into the nest of roots of this tree that had been blown over by the wind 
and then telling us to take this soil and inoculate the garden with this soil. Not just depending on our kitchen compost and our honey bucket leavings, but yeah. to actually um, bring a certain kind of life into the domesticated life that the garden uh, yeah. represents. So a couple of things. Um, one is ancient lands um, speaks to uh, cultivation. Uh, the word bhavana, which um, in the Buddhist context um, was used not only to refer to the cultivation of the land, but also to the cultivation of our own mind. At the same time, there's another image about the mind as uncultivated. And we're in this kind of balance between worlds. One is um, being in a relationship with our own mental continuum um, where we are in a certain way interfering with our conditioning. And it's really important to understand how uh, we do interfere through the medium of meditation yeah. with our conditioning. <laughs> but there's another image, and that's bhavana, but there's another image, and that is a, a wild mind. <laughs> so I'm looking at Natalie across a few heads and thinking, yeah, wild mind. It's the mind or this kind of spirit um, that has not been gentrified, that's not been cultivated, um, that has maintained um, its original nature. And this um, image or sensibility, I think, is really important. So a few days ago, I was up at the refuge, and um, I've had you know just an incredible uh, travel and teaching schedule. It's just been kind of relentless. And uh, so I thought, I've said this before, um, you know, we had this idea of um, uh, as you live, so you will die. And my greatest concern is I'm going to die in an airport. So. <laughs> so. But um, in any case, you uh, Payans know that I land here, I take a bath, I gather my few possessions, um, and then I go up to the refuge. And um, at the refuge, um, one of the most important things is that Noah cracks his whip every day and forces me to walk. Mm -hmm. Now, um, I have to say, as I'm approaching 75, my lazy quotient is getting a little more amplified among some other things that are amplified. <laughs> And so the other day, we're walking, and I'm kind of in Noah's wake. And here's this 31-year-old, very fit, athletic guy, you know, ahead of me, and I'm just spitting with resentment. <laughs> because it's really, I'm tired. <laughs> so I'm just kind of worn out from what I've dedicated my life to. And I personally, I just like to sort of you never get out of bed. <laughs> and uh, here Noah is just striding up the trail, and I kind of, 
you know, I'm seething with unhappiness. And I say to him, listen, I'm really tired. Let's find a meadow and just let me lay down in the meadow. <laughs> and of course, one presented itself immediately with a beautiful uh, ponderosa tree right by it. And I got into the shade and went out for an hour and a half. Actually, we did this twice, where I asked for Noah's mercy and woke up just incredibly uh, refreshed, um, very uh, grateful and joyful. Mm. And in um, Japan, where uh, almost every tree has been counted, it's kind of uh, a world that is so densely populated that everything is incredibly controlled and it's People who come to Japan for the first time kind of can't believe when they go from Osaka to Kyoto. It's, you know, just a completely domesticated, populated, built-up landscape. But the Japanese have a custom called Shinrin-yoku, which is um, forest bathing. (laughs) I think it's really important to plant trees, friends. As Wendy says, their roots go deep into the earth as this practice goes deep into the earth of our life. Their trunk is this middle world about strong back. How do we uphold ourselves in the midst of the incredible conditions that we're encountering in this time? We need strength, and in a way, we need to literally embody the quality of trees as we're planting trees. And the crown embraces the heaven, but its leaves and flowers. Without what is this crown of a tree, this holy crown of this flowering tree, there is no air. There's no atmosphere for our lives. So plant trees, it's like returning to our original nature and returning all as bodhisattvas to our original nature. Mm. I want to read as um, I conclude, so uh, we're in time, uh, just a few poems from the Buddhist tradition that capture the importance of understanding this earth as the living body of the Buddha and the lived experience of being part of the living body of the Buddha, not dissociated, not caught in our technology and gazing into our screens only, but gazing into the heart of this earth and cherishing what is diminishing so rapidly which is the wiles. This from Sudong Po. The sound of the stream is his long, broad tongue. The mountain form his body. This evening's 84,000 verses 
how will I tell them tomorrow? This evening's 84,000 verses, how will I tell them tomorrow? Again, from the 10th century, and I think about Gary Snyder in his fire tower, right? Gazing out into, you know, the mountains and the forests, um, keeping an eye out for fire, and we've suppressed it. It's so fascinating um, how we have controlled nature and our forests are actually um, diseased because we've held back the fire from our forests. It's such an irony. When we go up to the refuge, you'll see trees, trees are struggling toward the sun, toward the light, but hanging from their branches are parasitic mosses, which arise because the fire hasn't come through fire. and made space in our lives. There is a deep value to fire. But there's Gary up there, Firewatch, because we've done this for a hundred years. Keep the fire at bay. It's the wrong fire we've been keeping at bay. <laughs> and he's sitting up there in this kind of little box in the sky, and he's reading a Chinese poet from the 10th century. And all of a sudden, he has this vision of what deep ecology is. Hanshan, I'm on the trail to Cold Mountain. Cold Mountain Trail never ends. Long clefts thick with rock and stones, wide streams buried in dense grass. Slippery moss, but there's been no rain. Pine trees sigh but there's no wind. And he goes, who can leap the world's net? Hmm. Sit here in the white clouds with me. Sit here in the white clouds with me. Finally, um, Wendy mentioned Clark Strand, who will be here in February with uh, Natalie and me and Kaz. I'm so grateful, um, Shiki, and as well, uh, modern haiku poets. I'm so grateful, Natalie, for you bringing Clark here. And Wendy also mentioned the Circle of the Way, um, which uh, I'm sure she knows, but maybe it slipped off her radar, is the name of this temple. Dogen, our cherished ancestors, ancestor, he says, 13th century, evening zazen hours advance. Sleep hasn't come yet. More and more, I realize mountains and rivers are good for the efforts of the way. Sounds of the river valley enter my ears. The light of the moon fills my eyes. 
outside of this. Not a single thing. <laughs> Evening, zazen hours advance. Sleep hasn't come yet. More and more, I realize, mountains and rivers are good for the effort of the way. Sounds of the river valley enter my ears. The light of the moon fills my eyes. Outside of this, not a single thing. So um, yesterday, um, Barry's Sekia was um, chuckling through the earth. Today, uh, the Asakia is quiet. What will we leave? I urge you, plant trees. <laughs>